You happy to be in the house of the Lord? Still? Uh, We're in the middle of a series. This is part three of a four-part series. And the title of the series is Encompassing Love. Encompassing Love. This is part three. And we've been talking out of Ephesians chapter 3, verses 14 and following. And if you would uh, turn there in your Bibles, we'll look at that passage of Scripture. Ephesians 3, 14 and following. I'm looking at it in the New International Version. Ephesians 3, 14 and following. When you get there, say amen. amen. This is what it says. For this reason, I kneel before the Father from whom his whole family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all of the fullness of God. We are talking about God's encompassing love and we are fleshing out four dimensions of that encompassing love. And we started in the first week, two Sundays ago, by speaking of the wideness of the love of Christ. And we said that the wideness of God's love is its all-encompassing character. The wideness of God's love is manifested in the fact that he loves all people. That you and I have the experience of irritation, but God does not experience irritation. How many know that God never gets irritated? And I'll tell you why God never gets irritated. Because irritation is the result of an interruption in your quest to establish a new inner state. Let me say that again. When you're trying to establish something on the inside of you like peace, like stability like a sense of equilibrium and somebody is doing something to disrupt that process, irritation occurs. You need peace and quiet, but there's somebody making all kind of noise for no reason. You're irritated. You know, you went to Starbucks to just sit there and read a book and somebody next to you is talking all loud and crazy and cracking jokes and cackling and laughing. It's getting on your last nerve. You feel irritated. Why? Because you need some peace and quiet. And in actuality, you're trying to establish an inner state of peace and quiet. But there's some something or someone external to you that is disrupting the process of establishing your desired inner state. How many know that God is never in the process of establishing his inner state? Nothing can disrupt his peace. And so you can do irritating things all you want. He never gets irritated with you. And so God wants to so root us and establish us in his love that nothing can disrupt our inner state. God wants to take us to that place. And in order to do so, he's got to take us into the wideness of his love. The wideness of his love is in the fact that it encompasses all people. And then we said that the length of his love has to do with its historic character. 
that his love is so long that it stretches backward into eternity and it stretches forward into eternity. That's how long his love is. We talked about the generational character of his love that he spent generations and generations and generations and generations, thousands of years setting you up for your moment of encounter with the love of Jesus Christ. That when God, when you came to faith in Jesus Christ, that was not the day when God decided to love you. He began loving you in eternity, and he spent every day from the moment he began loving you in eternity until the moment you met him preparing for the meeting. I'll never forget the morning my daughter was born, and I was sitting outside in the waiting room as they were prepping my wife for the C-section, and I just broke down and began crying. I, I, I broke down and began crying because I thought, this is the moment that we've waited for for nine years. I mean, we've asked God for this and we've waited for this and we've cried out for this for nine years. And finally, this moment is here. We only waited nine years and it was enough to overwhelm me with anticipation. God waited thousands of years for the opportunity to pour out his love in your life. And so that is the length of his love. And when God takes you into the length of his love and shows you how long suffering his love is, the result is that we learn how to love that way as well. Now, today we're talking about the height of God's love. And this is an, ex an especially important dimension for us to describe. Because when we're talking about the wideness of God's love, in order to enter into it, we've got to love others. And so there's kind of this ethical dimension to it. When we're talking about the length of God's love, we've got to look back and look forward. It's kind of an, uh, it has to do with knowledge. It has to do with an understanding and it manifests in commitment. It manifests in longevity to our love. There's kind of the committed dimension. And those are the two primary dimensions of love that we like to talk about. You know, one of the things that we like to talk about in our culture is that love is not just a feeling. You know, we need to talk about that in the church because in our culture, love is a feeling. When somebody says they love something, they're talking about a feeling they get when they experience it. Somebody says, man, I love me some chicken. What they mean is when I put chicken in my mouth, it releases a chemical reaction that, that releases endorphins in my brain. When I put chicken in my mouth, it provides me with such an experience of delight that it's as if time ceases. And it's as if I enter into a new dimension of living. It's, uh, it's, 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 it's a kind of the, the elevation, the elevated chicken experience. There, that there's this, this, this culinary transcendence that occurs when I get chicken between my teeth. And so somebody will say, I love chicken, and in the next breath, and I love my wife. And, and oftentimes when divorce happens, what the, 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 the reason for it is, well, I just didn't love her anymore. Meaning, I didn't feel the way about her that I used to feel when I did marry her. Well, I just don't love you anymore. Just the fact that you say, I don't love you anymore, means that you equate love with a feeling. When it is more than a feeling, it's first and foremost a commitment that says, I will never leave you. That regardless of what happens to my feelings, I'm never going to leave you. And if you get on my nerves, you're going to get on my nerves for the rest of my life. Because I'm not leaving you. I'm not turning my back on you. I've committed. And that's when we stand at an altar. We don't say, I promise to feel good about you for the rest of my life. We say, I promise to love, honor, and cherish you till death do us part. For better or for worse, meaning in good feelings and in bad feelings, my presence in your life is never going to change. 
And so we have to emphasize in our culture that love is not primarily a feeling. But we can overemphasize that point to the extent that we learn to adopt a love that is completely devoid of feelings. To where we find ourselves saying, I can't stand her anymore, but I can't leave her because divorce is a sin and God hates it. So I'm just going to kind of stick it out with this woman, even though she gets on my nerves. Haven't felt anything for her in years. Thank God love is not a feeling. Let me tell you something. If you're at that place, something's wrong with that picture. That is, love is not just a feeling, but it is not apathetic. It is not empty of feeling. It is not numb or void of delight. Love is a feeling as well. That is, when you have faithfulness, on top of that faithfulness, you should experience ecstasy. On top of that faithfulness, built upon the foundation of that commitment that I'll never leave you, you should experience some goose bubbly bubbly booze bloop. You should, you should, you should feel some stuff. You understand what I'm saying? Now, when we translate that into our relationship with God, we start by saying love for God is not about feeling good about Him. And so what we have are dried out, apathetic, fervorless, fireless, powerless believers in Jesus Christ who are simply there. I'm just going to hold out, you know, the light and stand, you know, in my place and I'm not going to move. I don't feel anything for God or from him, but I read the Bible and I pray and I go to church. And that is not what God has called you to. God wants you to feel his love. His love is not just a feeling, but it is a feeling. He wants to lavish it on you so that you wake up in the morning feeling loved by God. And you walk through your day feeling the love of God. And you go to sleep at night feeling the love of God. Why? Because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the power of the Holy Spirit whom he's given us. And God wants to pour out more love, more love, more of his power and his presence. When we're talking about the experience of the love of God, that's what the height of his love is. The wideness of his love demands that we love all people as he does. The length of his love demands that we understand the longevity of it, but the height of his love is purely experiential. That is, when he takes us into the height of his love, he takes us to the place where he opens our hearts and he pours in his love so that we feel it and we sense it and and our bodies feel it and our souls delight in it and our spirit begins to rejoice in it. He takes us to the place where that love that's beyond all knowledge causes us to transcend every other experience so that we can say, Jesus loves me this I know. And I know it not just as a doctrinal certainty. I know it not just as a theological postulate, but I know it because I can feel it in my heart. I know it because he's poured it out in my soul. I know it because he's opened up my mind and poured it in there. I know it because he speaks to me and and he whispers in the tender hours of the night. I know it because he takes me in his arms and he dances with me. I know him not just as my savior and my redeemer, but as the lover of my soul. God wants to take you into the heights of his love. Now, there's something about being a human being that causes us to hunger for a higher place. There's something that is innate within the human person that causes us to desire to transcend. We want to go higher. We want to be elevated. We want exaltation. We want to be lifted up above the place where we are. How many want a higher financial place? Can I get a witness in the house? Come on, don't act like you don't. Come on. And, and that's okay. I'm not, this is not a trick. Oh, you sinners? No, we all do. Come on. You say, look, pastor, I'm trying to be spiritual, but I need some more money. 
Okay, I need some more money, okay? How many want to, you know, you want, you're, you want a higher place of achievement. You want to do more. A higher place of education. You want to know more. A higher place of vocation. You want to you uh, have a life that is about more. Right? You want a higher place of honor. You want a higher place of acknowledgement. You want people to see more in you. More that's in you that, that people don't see right now. You know there's more in you than you're currently expressing right now. And you want a higher place of experience. Behind all of those things is we hope all of those things can procure for us a higher place of experience because we simply believe that the way I'm living my life right now is not the way I was designed to live it. That is, I was designed to have more, to experience more. That is, I, 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 was, I, was, I was created for a higher place of living than I'm living right now. Blaise Pascal said that there's a God-shaped void in every human heart. That is, when God created you, he left a hole in the middle of you shaped like himself. And he saw to it that nothing would fit in that hole but him. The greatest revelation that God could ever give you is that your soul thirsts for God. Your soul thirsts for God. Behind every quest, behind every desire, behind your search for everything that you're searching for is a thirst for God. And you can get all of it and try to squeeze it into that hole and it will not fit. It will leave a wide and gaping emptiness. The only thing that can fill it is God. And we don't often realize how hungry and how thirsty, how starving our souls are. You know, your soul is constantly, there's so much that we attribute to the body that actually has very little or even nothing to do with the body. It actually has everything to do with the soul. Let me ask you this, the desire for food, is that a bodily desire or is it a soulish desire? Is it your soul desiring food or your body? And by your soul, I mean your mind, will, and emotions. So when you hunger for food, when, you, when, you, when you're desiring food, that's your body desiring it, right? So then why do you eat more than your body needs? Why do we keep eating even when our bodies are saying, if you keep eating like this, I'm going to have a heart attack? The soul is hungering for something. Your body needs food, yes, to survive. That's true. But your body doesn't need tasty food. I mean, when you're physically hungry, you know what you need? Some vegetables. I mean, if you just took what your body needed, don't put no salt on it. Your body doesn't need that. It raises your blood pressure. Salt has nothing to do with the body. Don't put no sugar in there. It has nothing to do with the body. Don't talk about my body needs. Your body don't need that. Your body's mad at you for eating that. <laughs> Your soul is so hungry for some type of satisfaction that it'll even destroy the body to get it. I was watching one of those programs on obesity and they had a man in there who was more than a thousand pounds and he was in the hospital. And they told him, you are at the point of death. If you don't change your eating habits right now, you're going to die. And they brought him in his next meal and it was a big salad with a little fish. He took a couple bites of that. He's like, I can't eat this. This is terrible. They said, well, you better learn how to eat that. Your life depends upon it. You know what he did? When they left the room, he called the orderly, one of the orderlies. He handed him 40 bucks. He said, go get me a slab of ribs and some fried chicken. And he did it. And he's in the bed eating this, this, these ribs and fried chicken. And they came and said, don't you know you're risking your own life? And you know what he said? Whether I live or, not, or die is in the hands of God. 
I don't have anything to do with that. If God wants me, he's going to take me. You know what he was saying? My soul is so desperate for some form of satisfaction that I'm even willing to destroy my physical body to get it. His soul was crying out. His soul was starving. And he thought food was the only place to get it. Why do you think people use drugs? And, and when we're talking about the height of God's love, God wants to take you high. There's other things in the world that will take you high. <laughs> There's substances that will make you feel high. Woo! Will take you up there, boy. You know what I don't understand is stuff like acid. You know, stuff where you start seeing people with wings and stuff. You ever talk to anybody who had a bad acid trip? You know what I don't understand? is people who have had two bad acid trips. I mean, you know, fool me once, shame on me. If I took, if I took something that caused me to see the devil, okay, my bad. But after it's over, if I take it again... <laughs> I had a friend, that was his testimony. He said, I took, man, I took, I dropped some acid one day and all of a sudden I looked around and the, and the streets were full of demons. I mean, everybody was a demon. I mean, people turned into demons right around me. He said, and I started fighting everybody. I thought I was fighting the devil. He said, I started fights with strangers. And he said, and I mean, the streets were covered in blood. There was blood running everywhere. I mean, he, 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 he described this terrible trip. He said, I went home, I ran into my room and locked the door, and the walls were covered with swastikas made out of blood. That's a bad trip. That's not very high. He took it to get high. That thing took him low. And he said, I tried to sleep it off. I laid in the bed, and all I heard were demons whispering to me all night, come with us, come with us, come out of here, come with us. We're going to destroy you. We're going to kill you. Can you imagine? That's torment. And he said, man, I couldn't wait. I was so thankful I woke up the next morning and I was fine. He said, and then the next time I took it, I said, hold on, stop the press. <laughs> the next time you took it, what are you thinking taking it a next time? But wait a minute, before you judge him, has there ever been anything in your life that every time you did it, it took you to such a low place that you hated yourself, but you still did it again? Why? How come? Because the soul is desperate. It's desperate to go higher. And when we're talking about height, when we're talking about going higher, we're talking about the human hunger for a commodity called joy. That is, when we experience joy, and I'm talking about when I'm talking about full and overflowing joy, when the scripture talks about joy unspeakable and full of glory, when you experience joy, there's something on the inside of your being that says, yes, this is what I was created for. I mean, this is what I'm, this is what I'm supposed to live like. This is it, man. This is where I'm supposed to be. And so we're so hungry for joy that we'll do anything to get it, but we settle for something less than joy. David said in Psalm chapter 16, verse 8, he said in your, verse 11, in your presence, there's fullness of joy. At your right hand, there are pleasures forevermore. This is the greatest revelation that God could ever give you. Outside of the presence of God, there is joy. But it's partial joy and it's temporary pleasure. But in the presence of God, there's fullness of joy and eternal pleasure. 
outside the presence of God, there's partial joy and temporary pleasure. But in the presence of God, there's fullness of joy and eternal pleasure. That's because every pleasure experienced outside of the presence of God is simply an imitation for the presence of God. Every form of joy that we experience outside of the presence of God is simply an imitation of the presence of God. It mimics the presence of God. And many of the, of the pleasures and joys that we experience outside of the, pleasure, of the presence of God, when we come into the presence of God and experience them again, we experience them as God-given pleasures so that we don't separate them from the presence of God. So that... When I'm living in God's presence and experiencing his joy, I can sit down at the table and eat my chicken. And it is a pleasure, but I don't separate it from the presence of God because I'm eating chicken in his presence. Come on, somebody. And there's nothing like the presence of God and chicken. See, chicken without the presence of God is an empty pleasure, but chicken and Jesus go good together. Can I get a witness? Well, if you're frying it in a cast iron skillet, yes, but not in a tin skillet, you know. You got to get it right. <laughs> no, see, I don't fry it too much cuz that's bad for you. You know, you know, it's bad for my blood pressure. See, I'm trying to I'm trying to get it right. My soul thirsts for God. The psalmist received this revelation in Psalm 42 and it was the most powerful thing that could ever be said in scripture. My soul thirsts for God. And one of the primary reasons why we don't go higher with God is because we're not aware of the thirst of our soul for God. We think our souls are thirsting for, for many other things. You talk to so many people and they say, my soul doesn't thirst for God. I'm not hungry for God at all. Well, what are you hungry for? And they name a whole bunch of substitutes for God. Whole bunch of divine imitations, a whole bunch of stuff that you think you're hungry for that stuff because that's all you've eaten. What you don't realize is that your soul is thirsting for God and God wants to take you to a higher place. How many of you, when you get on your knees to pray, the moment you get on your knees, every time, every day, the moment you get on your knees and lift your hands to the Lord and open your mouth to pray, the Spirit of God rushes on you. God takes you up into the heavenlies and shows you great and mighty things. How many of you have that experience? Lift your hand. Good, me neither. <laughs> because uh, if, uh, no, that's not your experience. Maybe some days, but nobody has that experience every day. I mean, everybody has had the experience of getting on your knees to pray and seeking the presence of God and nothing seems to move. Seeking after God and it seems like his presence is further from you than the east is from the west. You say, well, God wants to take me higher. Then why doesn't he just take me? John chapter 3, Jesus met this woman at the well. As he was passing through Samaria. And this woman came out to draw water at 3 o'clock in the afternoon. And the reason she came at 3 o'clock in the afternoon is because she was an outcast in the town. The reason she was an outcast in the town is because, well, we'll, we'll find out in just a moment. Jesus sees her and says, get me something to drink. Which was an anomaly. Because he was a Jew and she was a Samaritan. First of all, he was a man, she was a woman. Jewish men did not speak to women in public. They were so afraid of adultery and lust in their minds, they wouldn't even speak to a woman in public. Secondly, Jews didn't speak to Samaritans. She had two strikes against her. She was a, a woman, 
and she was a Samaritan. Third strike against her was, well, we'll see in just a moment. So Jesus says, give me something to drink. And she says, how is it that you, a Jew, ask me, a Samaritan, for something to drink? And he says, if you knew the gift of God and who it was who asked you for something to drink, you'd ask him, and he'd give you living water. She says, the well is deep, and you've got nothing to draw with. How is it that you'll give me living water? And Jesus said, anyone who drinks from this well will thirst again. But he who drinks the water that I give will never thirst again. The water that I give will become a well within them, springing up unto everlasting life. And she says, give me this water so that I don't have to come to this well anymore. There's the moment. She's ready to say the sinner's prayer. She's ready to take church 101, go through the Barnabas partners process and sign the membership covenant. Jesus should have, you know, showed her where to send her tithe. She said, give me this water. She's ready. You've evangelized her, Jesus. Say the prayer with her and put another notch on your belt and then go tell everybody, I just led this woman to the Lord. Instead, he looks at her and says, go get your husband. Whoa, 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 whoa. What you talking about, go get my husband? I don't have a husband. You're darn right you don't have a husband. You had five. And the man you're with now is not your husband. So you're right when you say you don't have a husband. Why did Jesus do that? She said, give me this water. You know what she's saying? Take me higher. Take me to a higher place. Take me to, he's offering to take her up to the place of fullness of joy and pleasures forevermore. And when she asks for it and says, I'm ready for it, he says, go get your husband. And exposes this whole area of her life that she's been trying to hide. Why does he do that? You know why? Because he's saying, you can't drink the water that I give and continue to drink the water that you're drinking at the same time. You want to know why God can't take some of us higher? Because we're too busy seeking to get high on other things. He can't satisfy our souls because we're constantly looking for other things to satisfy our souls. And we cannot cling to the things that we're seeking satisfaction from and be satisfied by God at the same time. God says, I want to take you up, but there's some stuff you can't take with you. You've got to be willing to leave it behind if you want me to take you higher. When I was a student at Fuller Seminary, I was on on my knees in my living room one day and I was crying out to God. I said, God, take me to a higher place. Take me up into the spirit and and cause me to see. You know, I had been reading the book of Ephesians. In the book of Ephesians, there's this whole concept of the heavenly places that appears over and over and over again. In Ephesians 1-3, Paul says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. And then in chapter 2, verse 6, he says that God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly places. And so when I see these things, I know that the, that the blessings of the Spirit are there for us. And every blessing of the Spirit has been given to us. But it's all in heavenly places. And if we live in earthly places, we cannot find access to the blessings that are in heavenly places. And so I was crying out, Lord, take me up into the heavenly places so that I can begin to lay hold of the many blessings of the Spirit that you have set aside for me. And all of a sudden I had a vision of the hand of God coming down through the roof and grabbing me and taking me up. I said, thank you, Lord. I could see God is taking me up into the heavenly places. But on my way up, I grabbed the television with my legs. And God is trying to yank me out of there. And finally he let me go. And I cried out again, oh no, Lord, take me up, take me up. And the hand of God came down again and grabbed me and starts to take me up. And I grabbed the couch with my feet. And finally he let me go. And I said, God, I don't get it. You're strong enough to shake me free of those things. And God was saying, yes, I am. 
But you can't take those things with you. Really had nothing to do with the television and the couch. It had to do with the fact that there were things of this world that I was clinging to as my source of joy. Things of this world that I was clinging to and looking to to be my source of joy and to be my source of satisfaction and pleasure. And God was saying, you've got to leave those things behind and you've got to cause, you've got to allow me to become the source of all of your joy and the source of all of your satisfaction. You've got to abandon yourself to me. And when you begin to seek to go to a higher place in God, you must be prepared because the first place that you will go is to a place of emptiness. Jesus was driven by the Spirit of the Lord into the wilderness for 40 days where he was tempted of the devil. And it was in that place of emptiness. He was not experiencing the presence of God in the wilderness. He was not getting prophetic words from God or having angelic visitations in the wilderness. You know what he was doing? He was meditating on Scripture. And you know what he was meditating on? He was meditating on the 40-year wandering of the Israelites in the wilderness. Why? Because when Satan came to him and said, turn these stones to bread, he quoted Deuteronomy chapter 8 verse 2. He said, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. He, he said, you tried that one already in the wilderness with the people of God. They failed, but I'm going to succeed. Every place where Satan came to tempt him, Jesus responded with, it is written. And listen, if you're going to go to a higher place in God, you've got to be willing to go through the wilderness. Because when you go into the wilderness place, there, that's the place where temptation comes. But if you resist temptation, you come out of the wilderness in the power of the Spirit. If you resist temptation, God will take you out of that dry place where you're waiting upon Him. Listen, to go to a higher place in God, you've got to learn to wait upon Him. Because Isaiah said it in chapter 40, that they that wait upon the Lord... Lord shall renew their strength and they shall mount up with wings as eagles. The problem is we give up and we settle. We give up and we settle. And the spirit of God wants to take us higher. But the question is, are we ready to go higher? When we talk about going higher with God, we're talking about the realm of spiritual experience. We're talking about ecstasy. Do you know what ecstasy is? Not the drug ecstasy. Once again, the drug ecstasy is an imitation. It's a fake. God has some ecstasy for you, but it ain't something you smoke or snort or inject. What do you do with ecstasy? How do you even take it? Guillermo, I know you know. Put it in your mouth. Yeah, it's a pill. Okay. Yeah, no, the Lord redeemed him out of a lot. That's he said, I just heard. <laughs> he wasn't always saved. You can tell by the tattoos. But um, do you know what the word ecstasy means? It means to stand outside of yourself. It means to go beyond yourself. There's what we call ecstatic experiences. Do you know what an ecstatic experience is? When the Holy Spirit comes upon you with such force and with such power that you feel that you're possessed by the spirit of the living God. You know, I had my first ecstatic experience when I was nine years old. Sam Huddleston laid hands on me and I was filled with the Holy Spirit and just began to burst into tongues. I didn't even see it coming. I didn't even, I was like, I wasn't trying to speak in tongues. You know, a lot of people, they speak in tongues when somebody says, repeat after me, Shanda Mabotai, who stole my Honda? You got it. That ain't it. The Holy Spirit came on me with power and suddenly I just, this compulsory tongue came on me. This compulsive tongue came on me and I couldn't speak in tongues again for another two years. Then I was at a worship service when I was 11 at Templo de la Cruz and all of a sudden the Spirit of God came on me in worship and I began to worship God in tongues. Couldn't speak in tongues again for another two years. 
And then when I was 13 years old, my dad had given his life to Christ three days earlier. He was in my room praying at my bed. On the third night, he was filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke in tongues. And I was so thankful to God, I was rejoicing and giving God the glory. And that night, in the middle of the night, the Spirit of God came rushing into my being. Filled me to overflowing. And all of a sudden, I was in the presence of God in a way that I had never been there before. I just felt overwhelmed and overcome by the presence of God. I felt like the presence of God was like water that just filled my dry and thirsty soul to overflowing. And all of a sudden, this joy was bubbling up on the inside of me with such force and such power that it overtook my natural language. And as I was worshiping Him with my own voice and in my own language, suddenly the power of God and the presence of God began to flow out. And suddenly I was speaking a language that I didn't understand and I was worshiping God in tongues. And you know what? It was so powerful and so mighty that it went on for days. For days. I couldn't even speak English anymore. I, I, w- I didn't even want to talk to people. All day I would walk by myself and just talk to God and, and pray in tongues. It was this overwhelming sense of the love of God. Do you know I went into a season during that time when I felt so loved by God that I would be laying in bed by myself at night just looking up at the ceiling and basking in His love and feeling like I was being baptized in His love again and again and again. I felt like I was in an ocean of His love and that I was drowning in it in a good way. That I couldn't escape it. Like David said, where can I go from your presence and where can I flee from your spirit if I go into heaven you're there there's nowhere I can go where I can escape your presence that's how God wants us to live and one of the things that's missing from contemporary Christianity is the press to be willing to press into those higher places to be willing to grow and that's why Paul said I pray that God would give you power To grasp the height of his love. It's not something that just falls in your lap and happens to you. Paul said, I'm contending in the spirit. I'm bowing my knee before the father. And I'm praying that he would take you up into the height of his love. And cause you to know it. You've got to have power to know it. You've got to pursue. This morning I was in Hosea chapter 3. And the prophet Hosea said, come let us return to the Lord. For he has torn us. But he will heal us. For he has broken us. But he will mend us. On the second day, he will revive us. On the third day, he will restore us. He will raise us up that we may live in his presence. And then he said, let us know. Let us press on to know him. You hear that? Let us know. Let us press on to know him for his goings forth are established like the morning. The NIV says, as surely as the sun rises, he will come to us. And he says, he'll come to us like rain. Like the spring and autumn rain. God wants to come, but we've got to make a decision. I'm going to press on to know him. When we're talking about pressing on to know him, we're talking about making a decision to accept no substitutes. I'm going to make a decision to accept no substitutes. I'm going to make a decision that God is going to be the source of my joy. I'm going to make a decision that God is going to be the source of my joy. I'm going to make a decision that I'm not going to settle for partial joy and temporary pleasure. I am going to have his fullness of joy and his eternal pleasure. And that's when we begin to wait on the Lord. But most people never renew their strength because they never wait upon the Lord. God wants to take us to a higher place. But we've got to understand that we first must remember our first love. Revelation chapter 2 verse 4 the, uh, Jesus, he's speaking to the church and he says, one thing I have against you, you've forgotten your first love or you've lost your first love. And then in verse five, he says, remember the height from which you have fallen. 
Remember the height when he talked about their first love, he said it was a high place. And most of us, when we first came to faith in Jesus Christ, and when you first encountered the the love of Jesus Christ, he took you to a high place. I mean, when you first got saved, it was like, that's all that life is about is knowing the Lord and talking to the Lord. There's this high place, but we think maturing is coming to this low place. When all we did was come to a dry place. God wants to take us to a higher place than we were then. Not a lower place, but a higher place. He said, I will set him on high because he has known my name. God wants to set us on high. He wants to take us up above the things that bind us, that hold us down. But we've got to learn how to lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily besets us so that we can run with endurance the race that is set before us looking to Jesus. The psalmist says, In Psalm 108, verse 4, For great is your love, higher than the heavens. Your faithfulness reaches to the skies. Your love is higher than the heavens. Let me tell you something. God's love is higher than the heavens, and he wants to take you to a higher place, but you've got to be willing to go with him. He's going to take you to a higher place, but you've got to be willing to go with him, and you've got to be willing to allow him to take you beyond your comfort zone, and you've got to be willing to leave some things behind. God's love, the height of it, is its experiential dimension. And this morning, God is inviting us to come to a higher place. The question is, are you ready? Do you want it? And are you willing to leave behind whatever needs to be left behind in order to go into it? If so, you can go to that higher place with God and you can begin today. Let's bow our heads. Father, I pray today in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ that your spirit would begin to move mightily in this place. Father, I pray that you'd open our hearts. I pray that you'd open our minds and I pray you'd open our eyes. I pray you would cause us to see just how close you would come. Holy Spirit, take us up above the place where we are. Take us up. Cause us to release the things that need to be released. Cause us to leave behind the things that need to be left behind and cause us to rise up. You said those that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and shall not faint. It's time for us to rise up with wings as eagles. But God, some of us here, we just never waited long enough. We've never waited without turning to another alternative. Trying to fill that space with something else. Waiting before the Lord is... It starts with embracing that place of being poor in spirit. Blessed are the poor in spirit. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Knowing by faith that mine is the kingdom of heaven, but embracing that moment when I feel poor in spirit and saying, I'm not going to take my poverty of spirit and try to fill it with something other than the spirit of God. But I'm going to learn to wait before the Lord. And he's going to take us higher. As surely... As surely as the sun will rise, he'll come. As surely as the sun will rise, he'll come to us. And Father, in the name of the Lord Jesus, I break off discouragement and disillusionment because some here are just so discouraged and disillusioned because we've pursued you so intensely in previous seasons and it seems like you just didn't come through. But God, I just remove that discouragement and disillusionment right now in the name of Jesus. As surely as the sun will rise, you'll come to us. Your goings forth are established like the morning established like the morning. We just release that unbelief and that fear. Some of us are just so afraid to run to you. Maybe we're afraid of being rejected, but God, you said, if anyone comes to me, I will by no means cast him out. 
But Father, I pray you would run to us right now by your spirit. I pray you would run to us by your power. I pray you would come to us right now. I pray you'd open up our eyes and open up our ears and open up our minds and open up our understanding and cause us to grasp how high your love is. How high your love would take us. How high. Cause us to grasp it because God, some of us, we just believe that your love wants to keep us in a low place. But we don't know how high your love would take us. We think your love has nothing to do with our experience. We think that you just want to stand us in our place and cause us to just deal with it. But God, you're saying, you're not saying deal with it. You're saying my love is going to lift you up above it. My love is going to lift you up above it. God, I pray that your love would begin to lift us up above it right now. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. I want you just to begin to talk to the Lord right now and say, take me higher. Take me higher. If you're ready to go, tell him what you're leaving behind. Tell him what you're letting go of. Tell him what you're letting go of. You're letting go of the weights and the sin which so easily besets so that you can run with endurance the race that's set before you. Come on, just begin to talk to him. Talk to him with your voice now. Jesus. 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 Jesus, take us into the height of your love. Yeah, Jesus, take me into the height of your love. The height of your love. on to know him. Let us know. Let us press on to know him. Let's begin to pursue him. Let us go up to the mountain of the house of the Lord. Come, let us go up to the mountain of the house of the Lord. Let's pursue him. It's time to go higher. It's time to go higher. Make a decision. I'm not going to accept any substitutes. I'm not going to stay in the place where I am, but I'm going to go higher. I'm going to pursue you. Come on, begin to talk to him. Stand up on your feet. Lift up your hands. Begin to talk to him right now. Jesus, Take me higher, Lord. Take me higher, Lord. Take me higher, Lord. Take me higher, Lord. I want to go higher in you. I want to go higher in you. I want to go higher in you. Jesus, 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 Jesus leaving behind the things of this world I'm leaving behind the weights I'm leaving behind the things that so easily beset me and I'm going to a higher place with you God some of you need to come to this altar right now and say I'm leaving some stuff behind right now I'm leaving it at the altar I'm leaving it at the altar it's time to be jealous he said remember the heights from which you have fallen be jealous and repent it's time for us to be jealous for the Lord it's time for us to be jealous for the Lord Come, let us go up to the mountain of the house of the Lord. Come, let us return unto the Lord. For He has broken us, but He will mend us. He has torn us, but He will heal us. And He will come to us like rain. Come on, lift up your voices to the Lord and open your hands. Come on, just begin to talk to Him right now. Just begin to talk to Him right now. Jesus. 
I'm chasing after you. I'm running after you. I'm seeking after you. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Come right now. God, just let your presence intensify. Let your presence intensify. Let your presence intensify. God, just break through this apathy in the atmosphere in the name of the Lord Jesus. Break through the heaviness in the atmosphere. Lord, I know that this word is hitting its mark right now. In the name of the Lord Jesus, I say it's time, it's time, it's time, it's time. We overcome every power of resistance in the atmosphere. And we say that there's freedom. We say that there's healing. We say that there's deliverance. We say that there's fullness of joy, fullness of the Spirit of God. We come against everything that would resist the fullness of the Spirit. God, pour out your Spirit right now. Pour out your Spirit right now. Yes, Lord, yes, Lord, yes, Lord, yes, Lord. Come now, come on, come on, come on, come on. Come on, the presence of God is going to increase, but we got to reach, we got to reach, we got to reach. Jesus, Lord, Jesus, Lord. Jesus, Lord, Jesus, Lord. Yeah. Yeah. Jesus, Jesus.
Yes, God. Yes, God. Increase. The love of God is increasing. More of your love.
a way that takes us up above the place where we've been. We're hungry for more. We're here. Thank you that today you've opened us up, but you've also closed us up. And right now, even for everyone at this altar, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, I just close up that place with the love of God. I close it up with the love of God. And, you know, whenever you respond to an altar call, you're opening yourself in a real way. You're coming to the altar, and you're even standing in front of the people of God, and you're saying, I, need, I have something that I need the Lord to take from me. And you're opening up yourself before God, but you need to close yourself up too. God doesn't just want to open you up. He wants to close you up. And closing you up is when he takes away the exposure and when he takes away any shame or any guilt or any sense of what it is that you're struggling with. He takes it all away. That's important. Because if you go into surgery and they open you up and they never close you up, you bleed to death. And how do we close it up? We worship. Worship. We worship. We worship and we thank him. And in thanking God, what we're declaring is that the work is done, that whatever God brought me up here for, it's done. We come to that place by faith. And so I just want everybody here to just take one more moment and just worship him. We're just going to close up what God has opened up here. Just begin to worship. I mean, with your own words, in your own language, with your own understanding, just begin to worship. Just speak out your praises and your worship. God, we adore you. thank you, God. We thank you that what you've done here today goes beyond our understanding. It goes beyond our awareness. It goes beyond our knowledge. It goes beyond what we can see with our eyes. We thank you that what you've done here today, Lord, only you know the extent of it. And so we rejoice in what you've done. We thank you that it is done. We thank you that your word has hit its mark. We thank you for it, Father. We thank you for it, Father. We give you the praise for it. We give you the praise for it. We give you the glory for it. We rejoice. We rejoice. We rejoice. We rejoice. We love you for it. Jesus' precious holy name. Amen. Come on, give God one more shout of praise.